Why on earth would they do that? That's what you might think if you looked into the the life of a rower. Because they get up every morning at the crack of dawn or well before dawn to go out on a cold river and row. Every morning, every day of the week, 5 a.m. Why on earth would they do that? Or maybe you'd look at the, uh, a parent who takes their child across the country to sporting events and training and practice and think, why on earth would they do that? And they take their kid, and their kid, you understand it from their point of view, they get to play. And the parent sits in the car, looks at their phone or reads a book, and then travels back. Or maybe more seriously, you look at somebody, parents, who are told by the doctors that their child in the womb, when they're born, will have genetic abnormalities. And they choose to keep the pregnancy, to have that child knowing all the difficulties that will lay ahead. Why on earth would they do that? And why on earth would anybody take up the job description, the life description that Jesus gives his followers in Matthew chapter 16? Let me read it to you again. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In a world like ours that is defined at this present time by by opportunity, by the need the must to, to progress, to make the most. The American dream that is not only on the other side of the pond, but is alive and well right here. Make the most of who you are. Take every opportunity. Deny yourself. Be yourself. Be self-satisfied. Why on earth would anybody take up this call that Jesus offers? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Why on earth? That's where we land this afternoon in our walk through. The life of Jesus is given to us by one of his followers, one of his disciples, Matthew. And we're going to look and dig into these instructions that Jesus gives. Asking this question, why on earth would we do this? And to help us, we're going to examine his identity and his itinerary. And to see how they, properly understood, might make us want to take up that call. So, firstly, the instructions of Jesus. Let me read it again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It means firstly fighting the natural instinct that is embedded in the DNA of every human that says, me first. 
We all know, if any of us have experienced childbirth or had the pleasure of watching somebody else give birth, that children come out of the womb naked and not pretty. But if children did have clothes on, when they were first born, what they would wear is a little baby grow and printed on the front would be those two words, me first. Because it's what we are all about. When it comes to our life decisions, when it comes to our money, when it comes to what job we will do, when it comes to our career, our family, our choice of partners or friends, down to what am I going to do this evening? What am I going to do this weekend? Me first. What do I want? And Jesus says, if you would follow me, you must deny yourself. Instead of asking, what do I want? We must ask, what does Jesus want? Me first. Jesus says, deny yourself. Me first, of course, is the the very definition of what the Bible describes as sin. What separates us from God. Because every human takes this attitude, me first. And we are made by God, for God, to put God first. To the start of the Ten Commandments. Put God first. And we find it so hard, so anti our every natural instinct. As Jesus outlines his instructions to those that would follow him, he starts with denial. To challenge that default instinct. And it's not just that it's internal, but that's also the external message. We're born naturally saying me first, but what our world says to us is put yourself first. You may have read the story this week of the pop star Demi Lovato describing herself as non-binary. It means she doesn't want to be defined as either male or female. In her coming out post to her fans, she tells them to live their truth. Be yourself, be true to who you are. And I'm not picking on her, but she encapsulates the spirit Of our age. This is what the world says to us. This is what our kids as they go to school. Kids if you're in school. This is what you're hearing. Be true to who you are. Jesus says to his disciples. The first aspect of discipleship is denial. Self-denial. You must challenge that instinct. You must recognise Here's a theologian's term for us. The the reality of total depravity. That means that every person and every situation, every circumstance, every institution is infected with sin that turns us away from God. We have to recognise in our hearts and in our lives that we don't know what's best for us. That we don't do what is best for us. To Jesus says denial. But then he also talks about the depth of that. 
How far do we go in our self-denial and in our following of Jesus? Well, Jesus says, take up your cross. The cross, the, the thing that Jesus himself will die upon, a symbol of death. How far? That far. Even unto death. And that's hard for us with our western tinged view of the world to think, is that really what Christianity is about? Even dying? Surely Jesus doesn't mean literal death. Surely Jesus is being a little bit hyperbolic here. And when we open our Bibles, we come with our experience and our worldview. But we need to recognize that as Jesus speaks to to these men at this time, but also speaks to all who will come to follow him across all time and history, Jesus speaks into situations, very real situations, where to follow Jesus means to die. Or at the very least to Accept the very real possibility that following Jesus will mean you will lose your life. And if Jesus is who he says he is, he's not just speaking to us in our time. He's speaking to all people everywhere. He's speaking into situations. It's like people in North Korea currently. Who, if they publicly profess to follow Jesus, will lose their homes, will lose their liberty, and will maybe even lose their life because they follow Jesus. It's written to the 21 Egyptian construction workers who, six years ago, were beheaded on a beach by ISIS because they professed faith in Jesus and they would not recant. How far does this self-denial go, Jesus says, to death? All the way. That is the depth of what Jesus calls his followers to. And then the direction. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Follow Jesus. The call is to walk where he walks, to follow where he leads, to let somebody else be the captain of your ship and the master of your fate. To say, I'm handing over control to Jesus and I will go where he leads. And so we ask that question again. Why on earth would anybody do this? Because that does not sound appealing that doesn't sound as though if we speak this message that people are going to flood in and say yes sign me up but this is the way of jesus this is the way of the king and so now what we need to do is walk back just a few verses in our bible to explore the identity and the itinerary of Jesus. Who is it that makes this call? So the identity of Jesus. Come back with me up the page in your Bible to what Matthew tells us takes place just before this call. 
And we know as we've been walking through Matthew, if you've been with us uh, for any of these sermons, that there have been hints and clues about who Jesus is. Not that Matthew's been hiding it. If we were to turn back to the start of Matthew's gospel, right to the very first verse, Matthew tells us about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But we've seen a slow unfolding, clues and hints. It's like when you watch a a superhero movie, and one of the first ones, when they first arrive on the scene, and you get all these little clues or instances where somebody sees the superhero do something or say something, and you can see them go, hang on, aren't you... Or maybe they see them without the mask and they're like, wait a minute, aren't you? Every few minutes we find out somebody and closer as you get through the film until somebody very close unveils who the superhero really is. And so over the past few weeks, we've heard Jesus describing himself as somebody who is something better than Solomon in chapter 12. We've seen the people on the boat, including the disciples, seeing Jesus walk on the water, say, truly, you are the son of God. We saw the Canaanite woman two weeks ago saying, Lord, son of David. And now, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, we find in Gentile territory, away from the crowds, away from the authorities, away from the action, Jesus seeks now. To ask his disciples, do you get it? Do you know who I am? But he starts off, verse 13, by asking a question. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples list off a few options. You see it there in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And you can almost imagine this is a, a conversation going off you know, in the, at the barbers. You know, one of those conversations or the hairdressers. Oh, did you hear about? Oh, they've said. And you can imagine the disciples going, well, Dave down the pub reckons that you're John the Baptist. Or, or Stacy, who I work with, you know, on Wednesdays, she thinks maybe Elijah. And they're just bringing in all the gossip. Oh, people think this, say, somebody says that. One person says that, but they're nuts. But each of these proposals, each of these suggestions tell us a little bit about what people are experiencing of Jesus. And they're all prophets. They're all people sent from God to his people. And some of them take up a positive element. Some of them are negative. The mention of Jeremiah means that they see Jesus as a bit of a misery guts. Bringing a bit of judgment and not much, you know, hope. And Jesus narrows in and says, here's the important thing. Great suggestions, guys, but what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And up pops Peter. Peter, who for us as the reader becomes our, our, our kind of foil here, our response to Jesus, bringing out our own hopes and fears, showing our best and our worst. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What is the Messiah? 
What is this title that Jesus, Peter says, Jesus, this is who you are. One of the commentators says this, the Messiah had become the designation of a figure representing the people of God and bringing in the promised eschatological reign. In other words, and in words we can understand, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero that the people have been waiting for. The Jewish people have been waiting for God to send somebody who will turn everything around. Who will make things better. In this mess of a world that they are living in. Under Roman occupation. Someone who will come into this brokenness. Brokenness that is revealed in their national circumstances, but is revealed in their personal circumstances. Somebody who will come in and solve the problem of humanity's rejection of God and of God's ways. They've been waiting for the one that the Old Testament has been talking about. Who will come from God to the people. And will bring peace and justice, salvation and restoration. He's the hero. And Peter says, seemingly it's not just him, but but all the disciples who have recognised this truth. Jesus, it's you. And they look into Jesus and they don't just see now the man from Nazareth. But they see an almost supernatural figure who's going to change not just their lives, but everybody's lives. And Jesus responds to Peter and says, you got it. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. There's a bit of a a repetition there. Peter said, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, you're the son of Jonah. I'm just like, okay, a bit of a put down. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is God-given truth. That Jesus is the world-changing Messiah. And Jesus affirms Peter. He gives Peter this role Peter, Peter means, sounds like rock or means rock. And she says, she says, you are the rock on which my church will be built. Peter, you've got this significant role to play because you get it. You understand who I am. God has revealed this truth to you. And Jesus is going to build his church and he's going to use Peter in a significant way. And the church will stand even against death that phrase the gates of hell will not overcome it Jesus says I am the Messiah and I am building my kingdom and it will win through and I will be victorious Jesus is the Messiah and as we sit there with Peter and the other disciples and as we hear Jesus affirm this great truth We're supposed to recognise that that means that God has kept his promise. 
God has been faithful that he will send somebody and he will sort out the mess, that he will come and heal, that he will save, that he will bring justice and peace, that he cares and he keeps his promise to his people. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who calls to Peter and calls Peter to follow him and the other disciples won't just change their lives but will change every life. Jesus is the Messiah and he will establish his kingdom, his indestructible heavenly kingdom and he will do it on this earth. This is who Jesus is. This is what makes sense of all the things that Jesus has said and done so far in Matthew's gospel. And Matthew wants us as his readers to to answer that question, who do we think Jesus is? And he wants us to recognise that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's great plan to restore all things, to bring truth and to bring justice and to save those who are undeserving. And it's this Jesus that calls people to follow him. But how's he going to do it? How's all this going to come about? Because remember, they're 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. They're in the middle of nowhere. This doesn't strike us as a great, you know, kingdom bringing in moment. He's in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of nobodies making a big claim. Well, let's check out his itinerary. Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone, verse 20. And then in verse 21, he goes to teach them. From that time on, Jesus began to explain or to teach his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And this would have made perfect sense. This is where you start a revolution. This is where you change things. You go to the capital city. You go to the place where God has dealt with his people over the past hundreds of years. You go to the temple where God's presence is. You go to the throne. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. And you can imagine the disciples going, yeah, I get it now. Quick, let's, let's, you know, let's saddle up. Let's get on our way. How does the verse continue? He must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus must go to Jerusalem and suffer. And you can imagine Peter and the disciples deflating. What on earth? Jesus says, before the victory parade, there's a whole lot of blood, sweat and tears. Before the crown must come the cross. And here comes Peter again, taking our role. Never, Lord. Never, Lord. That's not the way. Jesus, you're the king. Not suffering, not dying. 
probably have stopped listening before Jesus even got to the whole rising again bit. They never seemed to quite be able to hear that. That's not right. This should never happen to you. And maybe Peter's thinking, that should never happen to me. He's just heard Jesus affirm that Peter's got a great role in this new kingdom. And Jesus, who has just spoken so kindly, so affirmingly to Peter, then says, verse 23, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is not saying that Peter was possessed. What he's saying here is that the words that that Peter has just spoken, the sentiment that he's expressed, comes not from God, but comes from God's great enemy. Satan, the devil. And at the heart of it is this. Jesus, there's an easier way. There's a better way. There's a more comfortable way. And Jesus says, no. No, never. He said, you have got human concerns. But they're not God's concerns. You're thinking about reputation, not righteousness. You're seeking present comfort instead of pursuing lasting change. Jesus began to explain that he must. That's the key word here. In verse 21, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. He must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. For Jesus, this is not optional. His path leads to Jerusalem. And his path leads to the cross. God's great promised king must suffer, must be killed, and then be raised to new life. And what we have to see here is that this is clearly not for himself. Jesus doesn't need to do these things for himself. But he must, because he has accepted the task that he has been given by the Father, a task that he has willingly taken upon himself to do these things for others. Nothing. And no one will be saved without the suffering and sacrifice of the Messiah. Jesus' path leads to Jerusalem. The one who calls his followers to deny themselves even to death. Himself walks that road for them before them he leads by example he needn't have suffered but he did it because he loves his people what love what sacrifice the one who calls us to self-denial to take up our cross and follow him of his own accord takes up the cross suffers in the place of sinners 
because he loves us. We ask the question, why would anyone walk this way? As disciples of Jesus, we must walk this way, this week. And we look at who Jesus is, God's chosen king, the one who will make all things right. And we look at the way that he does that through suffering in our place. Jesus is the Messiah, the bringer of victory. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus has won the victory at the cross. He was raised to life. And one day Jesus' victory will be completed so that everyone will see it. Jesus, the Messiah, who brings his victory through suffering, through sacrifice, who gives up his life to find life for others, says to his disciples, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. True life for followers of Jesus comes not through chasing our dreams, but through submission. To Jesus. Submission to the Messiah. It is costly now, but it is ultimately worth it to serve the one who served us. The one who rewards generously. The one who knows more about our happiness than we do. So this week, if you're following Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow him. What does that look like? It looks like asking the question of our time. Am I only thinking about what I want? So I think about my evenings or my weekends. What does it look like to say, I know what I want, but what does Jesus want? How can I follow the Father's plan as Jesus did? How can I love others as Jesus did? When we think about our jobs or future careers, what motivates us? Am I thinking about what will make me successful? Or will make me comfortable or will secure my job, my role for the future? Am I willing to sacrifice those things to love other people? To speak truth? To share the good news of this great Messiah? What does it look like for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus As we come out of the last year of COVID restrictions, I read a a really helpful blog uh, by the son of uh, a couple in our congregation uh, yesterday talking about what it means to come out of, of COVID. What does it look like for us to be disciples? Lockdown's taught us many things and has brought us into a pattern of many things about being careful about being socially distant from each other. And many of us have missed the interactions 
But probably some of us have been quite comfortable. There's an ease in only having to look after yourself. But Jesus calls us to put other people first. Jesus calls us to draw near to one another. To put other, other people's interests before our own. To be dependent on one another. Not to be self-reliant. There are things to unlearn as we come out of COVID. There are comforts to be put to one side for the sake of loving God and loving his people. But as we close, as we, imagine, as we uh, finish up here, as we consider this call to denial, self-denial, even unto death, we look again to Jesus. You see, we won't do this if we are not convinced that Jesus is the hero that changes the entire course of history. We won't do it for our own benefit. We won't give up. We won't sacrifice. But when we see Jesus for who he truly is, the fulfillment of all God's promises, the true and great evidence that God loves us far more than we even love ourselves, and we see Jesus clearly then, not only can we deny ourselves and follow Christ, but we will want to. And we will find, as Jesus says, life as we follow him. That is the call to us as disciples of Jesus this week. To trust what Jesus says there. Go in our own way. Going for self-satisfaction, self-attainment will come far easier to us. But Jesus says ultimately that leads not to life but to death. Let us trust in these words of Jesus. And let us follow him.